0: Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities.
1: It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Scott Zamaru. Scott is a student practitioner and teacher of somatic and energetic healing arts with over 30 years in the field. Scott's broad training background includes massage therapy, polarity therapy, private mentoring and structural integration, group leadership and dynamics and ontological coaching. All of these studies support his primary focus in biodynamic cranial sacral therapy and pre- and perinatal education and healing. As a student and teacher trainee in the first BCSD training with Franklin Sales in the U.S., Scott is among the longest tenured biodynamics teacher in North America. He worked with Franklin and senior British teachers for 12 years during his time as a student and a teacher trainee he was fortunate to work extensively in the pre- and perinatal field with Carlton Terry who was mentored by and taught with William Emerson, Ph.D. These two streams of healing works are alive as the core focus of Scott's healing and teaching practice. Scott served as a founding board member of the Biodynamic Cranial Sacral Therapy Association of North America and as a past vice president of the American Polarity Therapy Association. He lives and teaches in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In today's conversation, we spoke about Scott's journey to finding his path, the importance of presence and cultivating it, what biodynamics is and some of the history, stories from the field, and some teasers for our next talk on pre- and perinatal work. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey, Scott. How's it going? I'm pretty good. Good. You know, I think I mentioned in the emails, but when I heard you on Ryan's show, I just was like, wow, I, there's a few things. I really liked what you had to say, but mm-hmm. I also liked the way you say things. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of embodied knowledge over time. That's how it comes off to me. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's so, what I've been
2: trying to do for the last 33 years as a body <laughs> worker. So
1: <laughs> so I guess with that, uh, if it's comfortable or if it relates, tell us a little bit about who you are
2: and how you fell into whether it's body work or cranial work or whatever. Yeah. Well, let's see that. That involves going back in time to the 1980s. I was in my twenties doing other things in life. And um, it became really clear that I needed to shift my vocation and was kind of, you know, going through life, wondering what to do. And as it happened, was driving through Wyoming one fine February day. And right outside of Laramie, heard a voice in my head, as clear as we're talking here, that said, go to massage school. And I was living in Boulder at the time, and there was a very good massage school there, the Boulder School of Massage. And so that was on like a Thursday afternoon, Monday, I went down to the school because so happened they had an open house. And by May of 1988, I started learning massage. Now, stepping back a moment, I had been receiving polarity therapy from a practitioner who lived in the hills outside of Boulder. So what I recognized for myself is that I was really more drawn to polarity, to studying you know that work. And massage school was kind of a good foundation for that. And there was a polarity program at the massage school. So it seemed like yeah, I could kind of do it all. Of course, not long after I started, the polarity teacher stopped teaching there. <laughs> so I then had to find another person to study polarity therapy with. So my my whole beginning was was a combination of massage and polarity. Now polarity, if you don't know, comes out of the osteopathic tradition. Uh, Randolph Stone was an osteopath and chiropractor, basically an old school manual medicine guy. But he got turned on to energy and was studying, you know, spiritually and otherwise, and so he started bringing in an energetic dimension to his healing work in chicago so you can picture this gentleman in chicago in the 1940s working on people's chakras and you know adjusting their their neck and all you know the whole the whole gamut and you know the thing about stone was that he he was successful in what he was doing and everything that he taught was field tested You know, which which over the years has really stuck with me. When I go back to my understanding of polarity therapy and the energetic patterns that Stone talked about in relationships, that he field tested everything he wrote about, and so it it all works. You know, it's all very valid information. Now, having entered the polarity world, that then got me connected to Franklin Sills, who is my biodynamic teacher. Franklin also studied polarity therapy. And so that was kind of a common piece in our backgrounds. And Franklin lives in England. So he was invited by people in the American polarity therapy community to come teach his cranial training in California. So I went to the first classes that he taught, including a week-long intro class, and I had studied a little bit of cranial work. This would have been 1991. Um, actually, that's the course I took with Jane Harrington and Jim Asher at the Rolfe Institute. 92, I studied with Franklin in California and recognized, you know, even in a five-day training that that was just a beginning. So I signed up for the full training, which started in 93. And that was a two-year training in biodynamic cranial work. At the same time, I was also chosen to be in the teacher training track. So I was also trained as a teacher and continued to work with Franklin for a total of 10 years as a student and teaching assistant. So learning the work, learning how to teach the work, the whole gamut. So I've been teaching and practicing since 95. 95 biodynamic cranial work yeah maybe a small tangent or maybe it's related there's for
1: me in the biodynamics, so much of the work is about the presence brought in and just my just watching you here i can even understand probably why you're also the presence you have even i mean the people listening will only have audio so they won't see but they can hear i think but just really the presence and whether that's a cultivation that you've had from doing the work from so long or, or something you had, it's, it's there's a clear palpable presence
2: there. So just yeah. share that out. Well, thank you. It's definitely cultivation and it's also being engaged in doing my own personal healing work for 30 some years. Um, I was talking with my assistant teacher yesterday And, you know, one of the topics we keep coming back to is the necessity, certainly in biodynamic work, of receiving the work and doing one's own healing and looking at other avenues of healing. It's absolutely necessary. You know, to to simply sit down and think, well, I'm going to be present now. You know, you try to try to manipulate that with one's mind, you know, that goes nowhere. So. Doing the, the work that's necessary internally is absolutely the top priority to cultivate presence, to have presence and to clear one's own shock and trauma because we all carry that around with us. So, you know, for me, that's, that's a top priority. And the, uh, you know, part of it is helping students to understand you know, the learning, the work is not just about anatomy. It's not just about, you know, doing practice sessions of how to hold someone's cranium and sacrum and whatnot. It's the other whole piece of doing self healing work, you know, and receiving work so that you can sit with someone when their system starts to express its shock and clear its shock. And what happens that you don't get caught in there. That you don't get caught in what their suffering is and that you're bringing as little of your own suffering to the table as possible. And, you know, that's the that's the real key. And as, as I tell people, you know, what what they see in me is just some years of practice. Right. <laughs> I know people, you know, so I've been doing body work now. This month is 33 years since I started training. Congrats. Well, thank you. I know, I know folks who are 40 some years in to their practice. And I see, you know, here's what another 10, 12 years does. Yeah, I can see that in in those people. And I aspire to be, you know, a 40 plus year practitioner at some point.
0: Scott, do you mind talking? So the the beginning of your journey sounds... mm -hmm amazing and enriching and what a unique opportunity to be able to be a student as well as to be also training to me to be teaching. Mm-hmm. But I'm, but I'm still a little curious about that drive. So you're driving down the road and yeah, voila! I'm going to be a massage therapist. And what was, what was pre body work life for you? Because I think that's always an interesting story, how practitioners show up for the work and there's normally a kind of a very colorful, fun story that gets you there.
2: Well, the colorful fun story in my case is I went to college and got a degree in philosophy. So I have a bachelor's in philosophy. And I was fortunate to have both Eastern and Western as part of my education and certainly I will acknowledge being much more drawn to Eastern philosophy than Western after a certain point. So I would I would say there's there's something there that is a root to all of this. you know having you know studied Indi, you know Vedic stuff and Chinese and Japanese, Tibetan, you know kind of the history of Buddhism was a big part of it. So that, you know, from an academic perspective, not necessarily from a practice perspective. But between graduating from college and starting into bodywork, I sold audio equipment for a living. You know, I like music. Working in a stereo store was like working in a toy store for me. But there is there is one piece that I'll, I'll share that feels important, which was, I, I remember sitting down one day with my store manager and we had gotten some new equipment and set it up in one of the listening rooms. And he, you know, he flipped the switch, put on some music and he asked me to, you know, describe what I was hearing. And I said, well, this sounds a lot better than that other thing. And he says, no, 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 it's not better. It's different. Tell me what you hear that sounds different from what we were just listening to. And in an interesting way, it was a, a little bit of a beginning of refining my perception. It's very easy to say, well, this is, you know, this is better than that, you know, in terms of audio gear and whatnot. But to be able to begin to articulate the nuances. Which, of course, as we, as we all know in body work, it's all about nuances. You know, when, when if you're doing rolfing work and you are going for the respiratory diaphragm, you have to be able to feel the difference between the diaphragm and the liver and the fascia that's, you know holding them together. In my work, I need to differentiate the move, movement of cerebrospinal fluid from the movement of brain tissue, from the movement of membranes in the cranium. So all those nuances of what's different between one and the next. So I got a little taste of that working in the audio business. So maybe that's colorful.
0: That is. And I think that's so fitting for, I mean, I think kind of one of the main goals that we have for our podcast we're touching into presence is mm-hmm. removing the ideas of this, this method or this modality is better than the other, that really coming to a place of there's so many type of therapies that are important and mm-hmm. necessary and useful at various particular times of our lives.
2: Sure. So I, I would also that. add that at different times for different clients, certain things may be more efficient clinically, right? So cranial work might be clinically efficient for someone in certain contexts. A 10 series might be more clinically efficient for someone in another context. So as as we talk about a whole spectrum of modalities and approaches and such, yeah. That's part of it is, is what does this person need? You know, what will help them today? You know, do they need to fit, you know, to have their brain attended to breathing in their head or do they need a second hour and need to get their feet under them? Oh, Scott, you're speaking our language. I love it. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I just want to make it relatable to everyone in, well, we do have we do have people who are non-rolfers. Uh
1: we okay. do have people uh, we even have non-bodyworkers who who listen to us. So but we do love uh getting into that uh that 10 series uh, mm-hmm. outline. Yeah, um, lingo, right? Yeah. <laughs> so for somewhat for me, but I'd say really more for the listeners. And we've had a few other biodynamic uh people on actually I don't think we've ever had any biomechanic. I think we've only had biodynamic, but mm-hmm. what For you, what is biodynamics
2: or or biodynamic cranial sacral therapy? Well, I'll go back to where the word biodynamic got connected to what really was then cranial osteopathy. And that comes from an osteopath named Roland Becker. Roland Becker was one of William Sutherland's many teaching staff. So Sutherland, as you know, is the gentleman who developed or maybe discovered cranial work. And, you know, part of his vision was that our body is essentially a respiratory mechanism. Our body is designed to breathe every cell, every fiber. You know, the bones, the interrelationship of the bones and the membranes, etc. It's all breathing. And what Dr. Sutherland said is that what's breathing through the body is what he called the breath of life. Breath of life is a phrase he got in the Bible. You know, that's from his spiritual tradition. You know, in the book of Genesis, it says God creates human beings out of the dust of the ground and breathes into them the breath of life. And if you go back to the Hebrew, you know, we become an animate soul. We become animated by the life breath. And the essence of the work is that when we're holding unresolved experiences, unresolved trauma, that creates a situation where our body's not able to breathe freely. So as a, practitioner, I just put my hands on, I listen to the breath breathing through someone's body. And their body shows me where where it can breathe and where it can't. Once that gets clear within their system, the breath of life, according to Dr. Sutherland, is intelligent, and it's potent. And it has the capacity to take its self and the body that it's breathing through through a healing process. So that later became called the inherent treatment plan or the inherent healing process. The body can heal itself when we listen to it and when we can be in a really deep embodied engagement with the breath of life. So that's that's sort of sort of Sutherland in a nutshell. So after he passes away, he spent, he spent 55 years of his life developing, researching, coming to understand this idea that the human body breathes. A few years after he passes away, one of the people who was his, on his teaching team and a close confidant, a man named Roland Becker, also an osteopath, becomes the president of the Sutherland Cranial Teaching Foundation. That's the school that Dr. Sutherland started. So Roland Becker becomes president of that school and over the next few years publishes a series of articles in an osteopathic journal to more deeply describe what cranial osteopathy is. And he uses the term biodynamic energy in that series of articles. So He takes breath of life and translates it into a term, bringing the idea of energy into the practice. Now that's a pretty radical thing. Osteopaths have, you know, they they dance with the word energy a lot. Like, do we use the word energy? Do we not use the word energy? You know, I come from a polarity background, which is all about energy work. So I'm like, yeah, energy is energy is what it is. It's maybe not the most clearly defined word, but when I feel life energy, I know I'm feeling life energy. And that's what's important for me. So Becker calls the breath of life biodynamic energy. And he you know, talks about biodynamic energy and how the biodynamic energy can resolve what he calls biokinetic forces. And these are the things that come into our body through accidents, through illnesses, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, on up the line. So he articulates the work as a dance between energetic forces that come into our body and create blockages and the capacity of biodynamic energy to have the inherent wisdom to resolve the energies that get stuck in our body. The other part of that that Becker described is that when we have energetic forces in our body, you know, say say someone twists their ankle, right? And they get a sprained ankle, they get that nice torsion pattern up through their leg into their pelvis and up their spine and it gets all the way up to the top of the neck. And there's this, great thing going on through their fascia, there's also an energetic pattern through their body. What Becker talks about is that when the energetic pattern releases, the fascia of the body, the physical body, can reorganize back to its natural pattern of health. So it comes out of compensation and reorganizes back to its natural pattern. And there we go. Now, everything I just said is very easy for me to say in words and to recognize that the experience of it from a practitioner perspective and also then for the, you know, for my clients, you know, that's a whole different arena. You know, what does it actually feel like when this is happening? And that's what I have to endeavor to teach my students is how to feel all this.
0: And with that being said, so are you suggesting you can feel the sprained ankle by working through the cranium?
2: Well, if someone comes in and tells me they have a sprained ankle, I'm going to grab their ankle. I don't I don't start at the head and, you know, work that way. When someone comes in for a session, you know, I ask, hey, why are you here? You know, what's what has brought you to see me? So maybe it's a sprained ankle, maybe it's a, mig- you know, they get migraines, you know, the whole gamut of, of realities. So I'm not necessarily starting with the cranium. Because the entire body is breathing, not just the head. So if someone coming back to our sprained ankle, working directly with their ankle and directly with the energetic forces that, you know, got introduced to their body when they stepped funny on a rock on a hiking trail or what have you. I'm going to meet that directly because that's where the issue is. Okay. So I I also meet my clients in a very direct manner that way. I'm not just holding their head and going, okay, well, I'm going to hold your head, even though you have a sprained ankle, the work is much more, um, at least the starting point can be more direct.
0: Can you speak to that a little bit in terms of describing a little bit what your touch would be or? Mm -hmm.
2: Sure. So my touch is always very light. You know, one of Dr. Sutherland's admonitions about working, you know, doing cranial work is not to try to Drive or, or push the system with any external force. So this obviously makes it very different than structural integration work. And not bad, you know, we're we're just in different parts of the spectrum. But the whole notion of not applying any force to the system isn't just about physical touch, it's also about my mindset. So coming back to our sprained ankle, I know that when I put my hands on a sprained ankle, there's probably gonna be something going up the leg and the knee will be involved in the hip joint and you know all that anatomy. But I have to also set that aside and not have an agenda for what the body's going to do in its healing process. So, not putting force on the system is both a physical admonition, as well as a, you know, what my intent is in the work. If that
1: makes sense, it makes sense for me. I'm being a student in biodynamics and right. heading up to Maine tomorrow to take another five-day intensive. It's it's probably one of my hardest things is to remember sometimes about stepping back or, or letting the body be or not trying to, to fix and just forgetting or, or habits. Um, but also, like you said earlier, in a clinical setting, mm-hmm. for me, it's a lot about what does this person require? And right. so, so sometimes that intervening may speed things up or be more efficient. And sometimes... Sure. That's that intervening actually does more damage.
2: Right. Here, here's the, the piece that I'll, I'll do my best to put into words. So when I start a session, the first thing I'm doing is I'm listening for the breath of life, breathing through the body. You know, I'm not interested in the anatomy per se or anything like that. I just want to feel what we call primary respiration, inhaling and exhaling. And how this person's body is moving in their inhales and exhales. So if I'm holding someone's leg, if I'm holding my hypothetical client with a sprained ankle, I'm not looking to, you know, what's the position of the talus bone or what's the texture of the interosseous membrane at first. The first thing I need to do is simply establish a relationship with the breath breathing through their body. Then, once I have a sense of how their body is breathing, more particular things can bubble into my awareness. Dr. Sutherland used a really fun analogy from uh, the movie The Wizard of Oz. He talked about things going behind the curtain. Right. So remember in The Wizard of Oz, he's talking, you know, they say, you know, the wizard's like, you know, ignore the man behind the curtain. Well, Sutherland turned that a little bit. He says, he says, all the particular things are behind the curtain and we have to wait for them to come out on their own to work with them rather than going and looking for you know, well, what's going on in the knee joint or the hip joint. So I listen and I look at, OK, what's coming out from behind the curtain first? And part of that will be the inherent movement of the body. And once I tune into that, people's bodies will start to show me where the energy is being held that's at the root of their compensation and at the root of their suffering, right? It's not always in the body either. Sometimes it's out in their energetic field. But the system, by learning to listen to the system breathing and by trusting the inherent intelligence, the intelligence starts a conversation with me and says, this is where the problem is. And this is the first place I'm gonna work. So maybe in that twisted ankle, there's, a, there's energy being held in the interosseous membrane of the lower leg. Then the body takes itself through the process. I'm not going to try to describe it in detail. But it takes itself through the healing process. The energy that's being held in the interosseous membrane discharges. It can get really hot. It can get electrical. There's literally a discharge of energy that's the, the body's been holding on to. Once that happens, then the texture and the position and the organization of the fascia And that leg can change and it can come back to its inherent pattern of health or at least get a lot closer to it. Maybe not all in one session. So there's also a recognition that our body has a pattern of health that's part of it. You know, we're not just walking through life, you know, with, with duct tape and bailing wire, hoping we're in the right place. There's something within us that organizes our bodies in a way that keeps us healthy. Right. And that's I part really of what like
0: that you're um, um, pointing out that our body has a pattern of orienting to health, because I, yeah. I, I feel like that it's, it's known in the body work, but it often gets kind of forgotten about because it's mm-hmm. so everything about body work can be like, I'm treating my pain or I'm treating my trauma or like we're broken and how do I get fixed? And I right. just want just to take that moment to acknowledge that, yes, there is this innate health that we carry and that we're not just born. And this is a little bit of my, I guess, my little soapbox that I'm kind of dancing around is, and you know, I did have very medical births and I thought they were lovely and I thought they're, they're sure there might be some trauma involved. Um but I, I just am very careful to not just make a broad statement that we enter into life and it's instantly traumatic.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> that there is a lot of beauty coming through that. And maybe maybe trauma is the beauty. I don't I don't know. I'm still holding on to these kind of conversations because in the mother mother world, it's very um, common to kind of go into, uh, I guess, playing into victim role, or, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I just I, I I I don't really align with that as much as, mm-hmm. and I'm careful to say that because for sure I don't want to be dismissive of someone who really is dealing with some trauma and um but I don't know I just I I like that it that you made that comment of just yeah. reminding that, that there is there is this innateness in our body of orienting to health and that we're not just broken beings and our place on earth is to get back to <laughs> to find find our way again
2: right Well, I appreciate you saying that, Nikki, because that really is at the heart of biodynamic work, is this understanding that there is a breath of life that is what creates our body. It maintains our body and it can heal our body at different times. And that all of the trauma, and this going back to Dr. Becker's talking about biodynamic and biokinetic energies was all about the recognition that the biodynamic energy is what's holding our traumas in place to keep them from running amok. You know, if, if we twist our ankle or we get, you know, bonked on the head by, you know, a falling bird or whatever, or psychological or emotional traumas, that there's something that is buffering all of that. Now, Becker explained it very succinctly. He said, he said, you know, you look at people you work on who have been in car accidents, and you think about how many pounds per square inch of force someone's body was exposed to in those situations, and you look at them and say, doesn't look all that bad considering what they went through because he recognized that our own life energy is buffering all those insults and holding them, and then can also resolve them. So the the heart of biodynamics is not working with, well, this happened and that happened and that happened. It's You start with the breath, we start with the breath, and we let the breath do the healing because it's what's holding the whole thing together. And the breath of life is our health, bottom line. So we're we're in, to me, I feel we're in complete congruence that way. You know, what you're saying about, you know, remembering that there is health in the body. Like that's what I start every session with is feeling that as an energy breathing through body physiology. And I, I will say there's a, a nice spoiler
1: alert that Nikki accidentally gave, which is that we're going to have you on again, hopefully to talk about pre and perinatal, so that birth trauma stuff may come up in a in a separate doc. Right, <laughs> but but to also reiterate, like I earlier today I had to give a talk to some some people in a, another country. I'm going to be working at. And, you know, some of the questions they came up were all about, you know, can you fix this issue? Can you fix that issue? And each one, I, I kept apologizing, but I kept, being, you know, hitting it back home and being like, these aren't, you know, aren't, that these are just like, these issues aren't the problem and they're not problems. They're responses to situations, but they're ultimately, this, there's, there's goodness there and trying to shift that mentality of, of our relation to quote-unquote diseases or to traumas and Mm. to try to see them differently. And I I truly do believe when we, and not in a new age way, but when we really do shift our views, we can see it differently. And that also allows for uh, more resilience to healing. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit, Andrew, like you're describing a you know, kind of mechanical perspective, you know, here's the thing that's wrong. Can you fix it? You know, it's like, take your car to the mechanic and go, Hey, can you fix, you know, the battery needs to be cleaned and, you know, the engine needs a tune up and, you know, it's not that way. What I find in my work with biodynamics is that oftentimes we discover causes or or situations that a client may not recall, you know, in in conversation that are contributing factors to their situation. You know, I, I have the experience, I'm sure you do as well of, you know, in the midst of the session, someone says, oh, yeah, then, then, then there was that time I was in Florida and bitten by an alligator or something. And, you know, that's not on their intake form. They hadn't told you about it. And you get your hand on their knee or something, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got bit by an alligator there. And it's like, well, uh, yeah, no wonder your body's doing this thing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's well.
0: exactly what happened to me. Sorry, Andrew. That um, with my role of training, two of my teachers were very much – um, biodynamic cranial therapist and at the end of sessions they would come around and you know at the time it would just it, would, it did feel electrical and energetic I was like oh here they coming zap in our brain again <laughs> and they kept on asking me like Nikki did you ever have any head trauma and I'm like no I would I would remember that and sure. but they're like are you sure are you sure I think they asked me like five times and finally I was like, oh yeah, I hit my head against the windshield when I was a child, not wearing a seatbelt and cracked the windshield, but it was never, I wasn't bleeding. The ambulance was involved and we just like, oopsie daisy and went on our merry way. And which, you know, do I have head trauma? I don't know. Like I think I'm getting through life pretty okay. But they felt something in my head that mm-hmm. like gave them some kind of a clue that I banged something up in there. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: but um, but it did feel good when they came around and helped bring ease into my cranial bones.
2: Nice. Yeah.
1: And there is the uh, the similar uh but non-physiological, which is, and I've had this a lot more, I've had it within Rolf, but also more with biodynamics of working with someone and then being like, oh, yeah, I was, this this traumatic psychological experience happened to me when I was four years old. And I completely like blocked that away. And that, that arises from time to time, which is, uh, again, the buffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's part of the, the wisdom and the health of our body that says, I'm not going to go there until I have the right set of circumstances in which to do the healing work. And for some people, that means, you know, in this life, they may not have that opportunity or don't know to seek it out, don't know that, the, that there are folks like us who offer that kind of context, but once you get in the game, then you want to get every little tiny thing resolved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like you mentioned before,
1: a little bit about the uh, the car, the mechanic sort of view, mm-hmm. uh, which I think a lot of, in my experience, a lot of body workers who come, they come in with that view, mm-hmm. and you know they come in with this view of the body as a machine and with your philosophy of background I'm sure you you can thank you know Rene Descartes today's modern uh villain uh for for that sort of view and soft <laughs> machine but it, it's always and I mentioned sort of the troubles I have before I I get stuck within that whereas I, I I know on a conceptual level it's more than that but it's still at some points there's it's hard for me to hold both the the physiological, mechanical, and the uh, metaphysical. Uh, while I can conceptualize that I, I know they're both separate and equal, I generally get into one or the other, and I'm I'm still working with finding that balance of holding both together.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to start with the defense of Descartes. Because in in the same book where he talks about you know I think therefore I am that kind of mechanical thing, he also says that the pineal gland is the seat of the soul. So he he still kept a good metaphysical perspective on things. Well, he also he also
1: spoke about before I think therefore I am. He spoke about having a devil on his shoulder. So there's maybe yeah, some you know,
2: <laughs> but... he had to keep he had to keep the church happy still. True. <laughs> but Andrew, to, to speak to your other, your other piece about the dynamic between a, a more material view and the more, you called it, metaphysical view. I, I think for me, I, I would say that it's really important, certainly in biodynamic work, that one's view and one's presence all have to become congruent. In the, in the depth of embodied understanding of the work. So in other words, you know, cause I, I've taught a lot of people, you know, most of my students are, are body workers. They've gone to massage school. They've gone through different structural integration trainings. And one of the hardest things for people to let go of is the doing, the applying force to the system, which comes out of, well, this thing's over here and it needs to be, you know, 3 millimeters to the right kind of thing. You know, if it was over there, that would be really hit. In order to really sink into biodynamics as a practice, it does require a complete change in view and understanding of the body, you know, to not hold a mechanical understanding. Now, as, as one proceeds in the learning and the experience and in relating to the breath of life, to biodynamic energy, and there's numerous other synonyms, at least my experience is that as I deepened into my experiential understanding and my depth of internal experience through tuning into myself through receiving the work and then seeing my work with other folks, my whole viewpoint shifted in the context of a biodynamic session. You know, the, the mechanical viewpoint, I mean, I, I can still deal with the world on a mechanical level when necessary, You know, I don't bounce off of too much stuff when I'm driving but when I'm doing biodynamics, you know, and again, it's been, you know, coming on 31 years since I started my training, or 29 years. Math is hard, too. The The biomechanical thing goes away. And then, you know, to be, to be in the experience of the life, the dynamic forces, the life energy, as well as the forces that people's system are trying to resolve. It, it's all coming from that depth of embodied understanding of energy, and the particular way that it plays.
0: Wow, that convert that what you just talked about, really brought me into like our primal early day beginnings when it was, and this might be a little bit of the influence of my husband's an archeologist. So I just started having these images of the early days of, as as us feeling into the world, feeling into the breath of life. You know, we, we oriented and organized around, you know, picture Petri- or um petroglyphs and a little left less less mechanical less definition and left you know some guidance but room for interpretation and what is needed you know you're going to orient it a little bit to what you need to how we've evolved into such a mechanical world which you know I enjoy, I mean, I, I enjoy and as much as I love having a great workout and feeling it, what it's done to my body and, you know, all the, all the things that come with just the experience. I have to say, I'm really liking my, my eye watch and be like, how many calories did I burn? What, how far did I go? Like enjoying that other analytical aspect.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, here we are, you're in Florida. I'm in New Mexico, Andrew's in Massachusetts, and we're having this Zoom conversation and looking at each other, you know, talking about these things. So the, the <laughs> well, fact yeah. that it can facilitate, you know, technology facilitates this is great. And, you know, I think it's been fairly said of late. Yeah, we're, you know, the, the balance is leaning a little far in one direction for all that we can appreciate our toys and, and what not. You know, using them in this way is wonderful. Yeah. But in in our in our bodywork world, you know, when we get in the room with someone, and we turn off all the the devices and the toys, yeah, you know, then then we're available again to a whole different range of experience. Yes. Yeah. 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 So there is. I, I'm aware of time, and I know we're. We're we're trying to stay relatively focused,
1: and we're doing good at that.
2: We're doing great in, in, in huge and broad topics, but I do want to share a story that, um, very much a uh, a large piece of my my experiential development as a practitioner and as a teacher, and I think it it illustrates a little bit. Well, will help illustrate the depth that this work gets to. So when I lived in Boulder in the past, I had a friend who was running a small, essentially a nursing home in a private home. They turned a private house in Boulder into a nursing home and it had eight or nine beds in it. And my friend had asked me to come work on one of the residents there. He was very close to passing and he suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease, which, you know, is is a really difficult situation. I mean, just to see someone in the end stages of that is is not it's not a happy scene. And I came over and tried to work with him one day and wasn't really able to get the the kind of connection to do a proper session. But after that, you know, for the, the next day and the next day, I kept having the feeling I need to go back. I need to go back and work with this guy again. So a few days later, I had the morning off. I went back over and he's under hospice care at this point. There's a nurse and a social worker in the room yeah, you know, because they're anticipating that he's going to transition at any time. But, you know, it's kind of tough. And I was sitting in the room with the... I was sitting next to the nurse, the social worker was at his bedside. And I turned to her and I said, you know, he's just afraid to leave. And she looked at me and said, well, if there's anything you can do, go ahead. And, you know, realized I had a good case of foot and mouth disease at that point, because I had no idea what to do in a situation like that. You know, there's no set of instructions in a book what to do. So I went over and touched the top of his ankles at the foot of his bed to tune into the breath of life and see what was going on. And it was like plugging into an electrical line. I mean, it was just, I was just shaking. I just started to shake. And, you know, stood there with this man and you know, in the intensity of everything that was happening energetically in his body and what was then happening energetically in mind because that was pretty much unavoidable. And the one thing I knew about him was that he was career military. He had spent his life in the military. And in my sort of internal dialogue with him you know, I, I started thinking in, in language that maybe someone who had been, been in the military would understand. And after a little while of just standing there and the two of us sort of shaking together, my, my body suddenly relaxed. And I heard a sentence. Which I knew I had to communicate to him through my hands, he couldn't really hear me. And the sentence was, you've been promoted. And I just kept repeating it in my mind through my hands to him. And as I did, the intensity very, 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 very slowly started to come down, come down. Took a good 15 minutes. You It took a long time for this super intense energy to just settle down, down, get quieter and quieter. And at the very end of that settling period, I perceived the breath of life leaving his body. And I was standing there and I'm holding him and, you know, all of the energetic phenomena that I associate with the life energy in the human body, they're all gone. And I looked over at the nurse and the social worker and they're like, nodding their head at me while it, you know, they're have tears coming down their cheeks. And one of them said, yeah, he's gone. So for me, a big part of my embodied understanding of this comes from that experience. You know, that, that took all of the talk and the books and, and the things I've learned and the things I taught and it made it super, super real. And, you know, Dr. Sutherland talked about that in his books about working on people as they transitioned. And so I know that for him, having had that experience, it was just as real for him. Yeah, you know, the, the depth of certainty in the work that yes there is life energy this is what it does and it's very notable in its absence
0: what a gift that you got to have with that gentleman
2: yeah and what what a gift that he got to have with you well it was it was a mutual moment and and you know to acknowledge my my friend the woman who owned this little facility who had the insight she said, I, you need to work on this guy. I don't know if that's what, you know, where she saw it going, but it was, uh, it was potent. And, you know, the truth is, is that it wasn't like I changed overnight from that. You know, it really took years for that experience in me to sink in and, you know, to work with it in my clinical practice and then to begin to find a way of communicating that as a teacher. You know, how how to communicate the the reality of that to students. That's yeah. that's kind of the the ongoing the ongoing piece.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful and and to reiterate what Nikki said, thank you for for sharing that. And I also feel like that's feeling into the bio uh, the, the the breath of life of this podcast and <laughs> and the the how how my body is responding it is a really it feels to me a really great way to i'm i'm not going to say end i'm going to say pause the conversation because the plan is to have you on again to talk about yeah. peri and prenatal and, and anything else but it does feel like a real that how i feel the breath of life in people is this sort of wave and mm-hmm. that story was such a great way to take us, uh, take us down for now. Uh, what I, what I like to always kind of end with uh, is the very standard way of like, how do people find you? What do you have going on? What is, you know, what is it that you'd like to share out?
2: Mm. Well, find me in terms of practice. Uh, in terms of practice, in terms of
1: teaching, in terms of, uh, articles in terms of whatever, whatever it is that
2: you, want to share out or yeah. have people find you at? Well, I do have a website. Some people find me there. And it's uh, scottzamroot.com. Very simple. You know, my, my practice people, it's always wonderful how people find us and, you know, folks, folks call me and they say, well, you know, someone, so-and-so in North Dakota said, yeah, I should come see you in Santa Fe or you know, some really random kind of event like that. Yeah, I had a woman come last week. It was, she was in town, happened to be her birthday, kind of knew someone, got in touch with them, and they said, I'll go see Scott. And I had a session time available. So she got a session on her birthday. You know, real random things like that. Um, for teaching, definitely the website. Um, I am. You know, I do do the foundation training for biodynamics, which is a three-year training. So that's a pretty extensive process. And, you know, for the last year, everything was on hold, obviously, because we could not do hands-on work. Um, I'm finally teaching again. I'm graduating a class in a few weeks, and we'll be starting a new training in October here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'll also be starting to do some advanced trainings for biodynamically trained folks. I believe in July is when I have uh, the first one of those scheduled and the class is named the embodied breath of life.
1: This is, this is rare that it actually just feels so like a perfect place to end. So I think uh, if it's okay, Nikki, do you have anything else you want to,
0: no, I just think that the way you closed it was perfect. I'm beginning the book of The Body Keeps Score. I don't know if you read that book, but a lot of it is talking about um, they're using currently right now. And I'm in the very, very beginning parts of it. But um, with using your your uh, experience with the gentleman in hospice who was in the military or in service of some way, mm-hmm. um, it's talking a lot of the trauma that is people experience and not being able to articulate it, and mm-hmm. how it's registered in their body, and how it like is expressed. So I thought that that's your story that you shared. Thought of thought, it helped me, you know, it was anchored into a little bit of the book of keeping score, and I think that's a great lead-in of how you know our next talk about the pre and perinatal conversation we're going to have, because that's clearly talking about and working with how very early in our lives, our body is keeping a score.
2: Yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll drop a little teaser in about that. Ooh, yeah. Because I've done a lot of pre and perinatal training, and I went through the training as a student and, you know, and to heal, certainly. And at a certain point, I realized that Boy, there are all these experiences we have that are held, you know, trauma experiences before we have a nervous system. And it got me thinking, well, huh, how is it I'm holding trauma when I don't have a nervous system yet? I'm going to leave that. As well.
1: <laughs> that is such a, that is such an unfair teaser. I mean, it's, it's actually beautiful, but I'm now I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, do you have another half hour, Scott? No, no. What, that's a great, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great way uh, to leave it. And um, yeah, just again, I, I really want to thank you uh, for your time and uh, for your, your knowledge and for all the work that you have done on yourself before to bring you to where you are now and to share that with others. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for
1: the conversation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful Uh, to, uh, wonderful to chat with, with colleagues and, you know, to, to bring some ideas to, uh, different, different folks. Yeah. Outside of the biodynamic world.
1: Yeah, that's one of the the reasons. uh, There's many reasons why I sort of started this, but one is really just to share information with people in the field, but not not in the pond, you know? Uh And and so, and to keep, you know, and to grow my own understanding, but also if I want to know something, I'm going to guess that these three people may also want to. And so just to keep, and then especially when I hear people who, make me think a little different or I really like what they have to say. A lot of times I go after them like I went after you and say, yeah. hey, I wanna <laughs> I want to share you, I wanna like, yeah. But it's been awesome. Yeah, great, Yeah,
2: thank you so much. Have a great day out there. Thank you. Thanks Scott. Yeah, thank you so much. Ciao. Thank you, take care.
1: Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Scott at scottsamorout.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation
0: at Touching into Presence. Bye-bye.